to Pediatric Meltdown, the podcast about children's mental health and emotional well-being. I'm Dr. Leah Gagino, a primary care pediatrician, and I created this podcast for the pediatric medical community and anyone who cares about children's behavioral health. Pediatric Meltdown offers thoughtful conversations featuring experts from the field. Learn practical strategies from the best and become a savvier clinician. Hey, listeners, welcome back to Pediatric Meltdown. And today's episode is the second in a series of episodes dedicated to suicide prevention in honor of Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. As always, there is a trigger warning that we will be talking about suicide and suicide-specific information. So if that is something that is challenging for you, please be aware of all of the resources for help, including the Crisis Lifeline 988 and the Crisis Text Line 741741. My guests today represent two individuals from Griffin Place, our local crisis center, and Sarah Mead is the marketing manager at Griffin Place with seven years of experience marketing in the nonprofit sector. Sarah is a certified nonprofit professional and shares her expertise by volunteering for multiple community organizations and events. Through Sarah's passion for the arts and her community, she strives to inspire others to explore how they can get involved. Erica Espinoza is the Griffin Place Suicide Prevention Action Network Coordinator, also known by its acronym SPAN. She has worked at Griffin Place for the past four years and has had the opportunity to work as a restorative justice facilitator, crisis worker, program manager, and now as the SPAN coordinator. She is passionate about building relationship, promoting resilience, and creating spaces for healing. Through this work, she feels connected to the community and to all individuals that make it unique and wonderful. Please join me in welcoming Sarah and Erica to the podcast. Hey, Erica, Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Happy to have you. Thank you. Happy to be here. We're spending the month of September talking about suicide prevention. And before we dive in, I wanted to talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing in our local crisis center here in Kalamazoo, but kind of some bigger ideas and strategies for community action. So we'll start with a little bit of background, but just kind of as, you know, stats for our listeners. I think most people are aware that youth suicide is the second leading cause of death in teenagers and that there are more suicide deaths than motor vehicle accidents or homicides, which I think is why we really need to be talking about this. It's so important. So maybe, Erica, you could start. How did you get involved in suicide prevention? Yeah, I well, I first started working for Griffin Place about four years ago, and I started working as a restorative justice facilitator. Um, and then my work in suicide prevention really started during the pandemic when I started working in our contact center on the crisis line. So after that experience of talking directly with people in crisis, I now have more of a community engagement role in suicide prevention. Well, yeah, and that's really important for the listeners out there. Griffin Place is our local crisis center, and we're part of the National Crisis Center Network. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. But Sarah, how about you? 
Well, I just started working at Books and Place a little over a year ago. I am the marketing manager here, but I have been involved specifically in Kalamazoo's nonprofit sector for about seven or eight years. So I am no stranger to the Kalamazoo community and getting people connected and just creating a sense of belonging here. And I think there's this idea of sort of national resources, and we're going to spend some time talking about 988. But then I think listeners can also drill down to your own communities and states to see what's happening on the local and community level. And we'll be sharing some ideas about some of the things that we did here in Kalamazoo that could be duplicated and replicated in other communities, and then some other national activities that are happening in the month of September. So suicide prevention really takes a village and each of us can play a role in offering hope because suicide does not have to be inevitable. We might not be able to prevent everyone, but that should be our goal. And I was going to talk a little bit about and wanted you to share about the role of the Crisis Lifeline. And Erica, since you've had experience as a crisis volunteer, can you share what that's like? And I was looking up some statistics. The 988 Lifeline started in 2005, and they have fielded over 20 million calls. So a lot of people are using these services. So what's it like being on the other end of the phone? I think that Crisis Lines are an extra layer of support in our community. And there's no measure of what is a crisis. There's no measure of of what that looks like for each individual person. So if you need support, if you're struggling, you can call into 988 or your local crisis line and talk to somebody. When I worked on the crisis line, I was always so, I guess, taken aback by people's bravery to reach out for support because they would really feel isolated and their situation was so unique that nobody else could understand or nobody else had experienced what they've experienced. So as a crisis worker, I would just really be in awe of people's bravery to reach out and share their story and get the support that they need and ultimately just really share coping skills that people can use to just live healthier lives. And especially in moments of crisis, just offering coping skills to get through that moment because it is just a moment and you will see the other side of it and you'll be able to, I think, better utilize coping skills in the future whenever you're in a crisis again. So it sounds like you do some supportive listening, kind of elicit kind of what the risk is for them, you know, maybe would ask if they could get to a place of better safety if they're around some sort of lethal means. Do you do some degree of safety planning with them and then link to resources? Yeah, that's one of the skills that crisis workers are trained in is creating a safety plan with callers. So if a caller is having thoughts of suicide and they do have the means to attempt suicide, we would talk about okay, how can we minimize the risk of you seeking that means or using that means? So for some people that was maybe giving their means to a loved one or storing it in a different room, just creating an extra barrier or an extra layer for them to have access to it. And then of course, if they didn't have the means, still safety planning for that moment of crisis. If you are in crisis and you feel like maybe a little out of control, what steps have you pre-planned out for yourself that you can follow? 
And what kind of training do crisis workers have? Because I know a lot of these folks are volunteers, right? Yeah, crisis workers go through a pretty extensive training and they are taught skills in crisis intervention and de-escalation. So they can really help somebody who's at an elevated emotional state work towards getting to more of like a calm state where they can talk about what's going on and what support that they need. So de-escalating somebody can look like deep grieving on the phone together, just offering reassurance to somebody. Like, I'm so glad that you called. I'm not going anywhere. You know, we, we have time to talk. Just offering that validation and, and that support you need in, in a scary moment. Crisis workers are also trained in skills like empathy and compassion. And those skills are used in active listening. So they're really able to provide that warm support that somebody might need. And then, like I mentioned earlier, trained in safety planning as well, just to offer that extra layer of safety for somebody. And when I was doing some research, it looks like there's actually a a national committee that oversees what training should be recommended. So there are evidence-based trainings like ASSIST and some of those other kind of in-depth, very specific trainings on suicide prevention. So it's not like every center is just making up their own stuff. These are standardized. And so I think that's important for people to know that when you're calling, that there is a trained person on the other end who can then help you connect to resources. So I wanted to talk about the lifeline, the 1-800-273-TALK or 8255 is still functional. And that number will be up forever. Um, But they wanted to simplify it. And there was actually federal legislation to change that number to 988. And so the rollout started July 16th of this year. And so that's a big deal to try and make this easier. But I think that there's maybe some myths and some bumps in the road that have happened with rollout. And Sarah, can you talk a little bit about some of those myths that have come up or concerns that callers might have? Yeah, there has definitely been some misinformation being spread about 988. You briefly touched on one. A lot of people are thinking that 988 is a brand new program and they're not realizing that it is just a shortened, easier way to reach the very long 1-800 hotline. Some more myths that people think about it is that because they think it's a new program, they think it's actually very interconnected with emergency services. But that is not the case. 988 was actually made to reduce the amount of emergency involvement because we understand that a police officer or a hospital might not be trained in how to handle a mental health crisis. And so when you call 988, we are here to help de-escalate you and not involve the police. And 988 is just the first step. Uh, We are not currently capable of moving to step two yet as 988 was just implemented. But step two would actually be involving a response team of trained mental health professionals. And 988 is working. I actually have some stats from the first week of 988, and there was approximately a 45% increase in call volume the week 988 launched compared to the previous week. And that's about a 66% increase in volume compared to the same week. Wow. The previous year. 
And I think that speaks to what we have heard about and know about, and that's this mental health crisis. I mean, mental health has been, uh, you know, I mean, this has been an issue for a long time. It's not like it's new, but the pandemic, I think because it increased that isolation from those that are support us and, you know, stress, job loss, fear of getting sick. I mean, so many things. So I think that level of distress, and we know in youth, it has gone up, um, especially in girls, there have been um, an increase in attempts. So the need is there. And so this is really an exciting kind of uh, transformation to make this simpler to access help. So when thinking about community things, so both professionals and lay people, how can we be better educated about suicide prevention, warning signs, risk factors, protective factors, and and response to those thinking about suicide? Erica, do you want to take a, take a stab at that one? Yeah, I think, like you said, there's it's helpful to know um, risk factors and warning signs for anybody, for lay people, whether you're healthcare or you work in mental health, it's good information for everybody to know for their friends, family, and coworkers. So there are risk factors that people can watch out for, such as health factors or environmental factors or historical factors. So any mental health condition, such as depression or substance use disorder, a traumatic brain injury, chronic pain, any serious health condition may be a risk factor for somebody to think about suicide or be at risk for suicide. Environmental factors like bullying, unemployment, especially if it was sudden or any sudden drastic change in a person's life, like a divorce, a death of a loved one, a suicide. These environmental factors put somebody at an elevated risk. And then somebody who might have a history of childhood trauma or a family history of suicide they might be at risk. And these are just a few risk factors. There are more, but just something to be aware of in your community, amongst your family and friends. If you notice somebody who is going through a a life change or if they have a change in their mood or behavior. That kind of leads me to warning signs. Most often, somebody who attempts suicide or dies by suicide does display at least one warning sign. They might talk openly about killing themselves or they might use language like, I'm feeling hopeless. I feel overwhelmed. I just don't know what to do. I don't see another way out. Nobody can understand the situation that I'm in. And they may talk about the unbearable pain that they feel. So these are clues. These are things to pay attention to amongst your family, friends, coworkers, if you hear this language. Behaviors or actions, such as an increased use in alcohol or drugs, if they're searching a means, um, like buying a gun or stockpiling pills, if they start saying goodbye or giving away price possessions, these are all warning signs. Those are really important things. I did have a question for you. Let's say I see some of those warning signs and I'm worried about it. Is it okay to ask? hey, I'm really concerned. Are you having any thoughts of killing yourself? Am I going to make somebody suicidal by asking that? No. And that's a common myth that people have is that by asking somebody, are you having thoughts of suicide, that you will plant the idea of suicide in their head. And that's just not true. Somebody who's having thoughts of suicide will be relieved Mm -hmm. that somebody has noticed 
a change in their behavior or that they're concerned about them. And because you ask such a direct question, they might feel more confident in your ability to talk about suicide. So I think it's it's always good to be direct and show your concern. And I'm wondering, at least one of the things that I was involved in, um, in our community program, and we can talk about that in a minute, um, is some of the trainings that are available for lay people and professionals too, like Safe Talk or QPR, to help people practice using the language and asking so that it doesn't feel so awkward. And I'll put links to those trainings in the show notes. So let's talk about this sort of advocacy action. And if you want to do something more in your community, of course, you could be a volunteer for a crisis line, but there are action networks. And in Kalamazoo, we had a group of people that came from the hospital sector, community mental health and private therapists, schools, universities, seniors, youth voices, those from the LGBTQ community and business even to look for some solutions. And we called it the Kalamazoo Suicide Prevention Action Network or SPAN. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the goals of SPAN, just so if somebody was thinking about it, it's like they'd have an idea like, okay, what would we do? And I don't know, Sarah, or you or Erica want to take that one? I can explain, Sam, a little bit more. Like you said, it's a network of people in our community that have come together with the same shared goal of zero suicide in our community. So with that baseline, we're able to build strategic goals and plans off of zero suicide. So what does that look like in our community? One way that we work towards this goal is providing trainings that you mentioned. So really educating the public on suicide prevention, warning signs, and follow through, how to help somebody in crisis. And that public education is important and it takes a village mindset. So we offer training regularly. We also work with agencies. We can go into agencies or have agencies come to Griffin Place just to receive these important trainings. And another goal of SPAN in Zero Suicide is offering a network of support. So we understand that people who have lost a loved one to suicide are at an increased risk of suicide themselves. So having postvention supports in place, like a survivors of suicide support group, a network of resources for people to rely on, that's important in our work as well. And then creating partnerships for supporting safety in our community. That is one goal that SPAN is working towards is an overarching theme of creating safety. So what that might look like is partnering with gun retailers to talk about what the warning signs of suicide look like so that they might be able to help somebody who's having thoughts of suicide, who comes into a gun shop looking to buy a gun impulsively. So those are just a few examples of strategic ways that we support our community in suicide prevention. And I'm wondering, Sarah, because you do marketing and have been involved in a lot of the activities, how do you get the word out? I mean, what are some of the marketing materials that might happen with a a group like this nonprofit organization that actually wants to get the word out? What might that look like? An important thing to follow when marketing sensitive topics such as suicide is to follow 
safe messaging. Because depending on what type of messaging you use, you could unintentionally be doing more harm than good. And so you need to use a more positive narrative when talking about suicide. And by positive, I mean that oftentimes public messaging conveys very negative narratives about suicide. For example, that nothing can be done about it. And that is not the case. You want to convey hope. You want to say that prevention works, that effective programs exist, resilience and recovery are possible, and that help is available. There are things that you want to avoid. One of the biggest things is something that any person can do in their everyday life is stop saying the phrase committed suicide. Saying committed just helps with the stigma that the thoughts that you're having about suicide are wrong. And if you think that the thoughts you're having are wrong, you're less likely to go to a friend or a family member or a counselor and tell them that you're having thoughts of suicide. So instead of saying committed suicide, we would say died by suicide. And instead of referring to a suicide attempt as a failed or unsuccessful attempt, that is saying that trying to kill themselves was the right thing to do and that they failed at it. So we just want to keep the language as positive, and I say that in quotations, as possible to help end the stigma. Yeah, I think that's really important. And that took me a while to really kind of practice that. And it's really interesting. I now notice like on national networks, they often now are saying like national anchor people are now saying died by suicide. And when I hear someone say committed suicide, it, I, it catches me because I'm, you know, I just know that there should be a language change and that words matter, that it's not a crime. This is someone in distress. And I think it conveys kind of a different empathy. And when you're talking about positive messaging, honestly, the kind of vision that came to me is the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Here is a man that was desperate, you know, makes an, an attempt, is rescued by someone who cares, his angel. And imagines what the world would be like without me and then kind of comes to a resolution that I'm so glad I'm alive. And I think for a lot of people, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, there is so much pain and, you know, I just can't bear this anymore. And so thinking that suicide isn't out, so it's not to hurt other people, you know, because I think people that are left after a suicide are often may be angry, but the person is often thinks they're trying to relieve a family. But this idea that most people don't want to die, they just don't want to feel this bad. Do I have that right? Exactly. Yeah, I think it. they want the pain that they're experiencing to end. They don't want to die. And so I think what Sarah was saying, that's really where hope can be such a powerful intervention because we know that hope is available and we know that with the right support and resources, people can get past their crisis. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's, you know, again, it's kind of a mindset change for all of us in our society to kind of understand why people get to the point where they think they might want to kill themselves. Yeah. I mean, as human beings, I think we're wired to try and stay alive and survive, right? So it feels like, like, how could someone 
think about this or do that. But, you know, it's not uncommon for people to think, gosh, maybe it would just be easier if I wasn't here. I mean, sometimes it's just like I could go to sleep and not wake up. That's not uncommon at all. I mean, I certainly have heard that from many, many kids that I've interviewed. Most don't overtly think I'm going to kill myself, but they've kind of entertained it. And if we are able to ask, hey, I'm wondering if other people in your situation might have these thoughts are you, then you can offer like, you know, there are ways you can feel better and let me connect you to help. And I think it's important for people to know that if you ask the question, it doesn't mean that it's your job to treat the suicidality. Your job might be to refer them or connect them. You could direct them to a crisis line. And besides 988, there's also crisis text, which is you text home to 741741. And that way, you can text with a professional and, and it's the same trained folks that are responding. And I think for kids, sometimes that feels like a, a more natural. There's also something called the Trevor Project for LGBTQ plus individuals because we know that population is at higher risk, not because they're gay or LGBTQ, but because of the stigma around that. And so it's a community that can support each other. So just in kind of closing, I know some communities are doing special awareness projects in the month of September. What are some things that are happening in Kalamazoo? Well, every September, which is Suicide Prevention Month, we have an array of events going on to, one, help spread awareness about suicide prevention, but then, two, raise funds for Griffin Place so that we can do things like run our hotline and offer suicide prevention trainings. Um, so some of the things that we are providing in September is, first, we do have three trainings going on. We have a safe talk training, an adult mental health first aid training, and a youth mental health first aid training. And then we just have some fun fundraisers you can attend, like our trivia night or our book fair fundraiser. But our Biggest event of the month is our suicide prevention walk that happens on Saturday, September 24th in Bronson Park. And it is just a day to come together and see that you're not alone. A lot of people attend in memory of someone that they lost to suicide. And I think it just helps people seeing that they are not the only ones in that situation. And all of the information about our events can be found on our website, griffin.org. And if you don't live in the Kalamazoo community, there are many other mental health organizations throughout the country. I would recommend looking up any one specifically in your hometown. But there's also nationwide organizations that hold local community events as well, such as the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They host walks throughout the country as well. And you can find a walk near you at AFSP.org. Right. I think they call it the out of the darkness walk. And, you know, again, for listeners that are outside of the Kalamazoo area, I think that's a great suggestion. I love that people do it in honor of other individuals, not necessarily who've died by suicide, but also maybe who are at risk or, or maybe themselves that are survivors that have lived experience. So I think it's kind of a lovely way to get the word out there and do something that feels positive. So I will include all those 
links in the show notes and also another resource for training. So Safe Talk is about a three, four hour training for the lay public. Anyone can take that. QPR stands for Question, Persuade and Respond. And that's a little bit shorter. I want to say it's one to two hours. You can contact your community mental health, but there's also a a national website that you can go to look what's available in your area. And I will put that link in the show notes as well. So I think that this is really exciting and I'm so glad that you both are so involved, you know, and I hope that other people listening will think about how can I get involved in some way? Because, you know, as you said, it takes a village. It takes each of us to be part of the solution. And I think part of it is just caring about the pain or the struggle that others have and knowing that you can reach out your hand and just say, hey, I'm here and let me help you find some help. And I think that's important that we build these safety nets. So, well, thank you both. I really appreciate it. I didn't know if either of you had any closing words or advice that you had for us. Erica, anything you wanted to share? I just really appreciate being able to talk about suicide prevention today. And thank you for having us. Oh, you're more than welcome. How about you, Sarah? I just want my closing words to be to remember that suicide is preventable. That's a good place to end. So um, thanks again. I'll put a long list of um, resources in the show notes. And you guys both have a great day. And again, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. I think this conversation is really important because it shows you some ways that you can actually make a difference in suicide prevention. So here are my takeaways. Number one, thank you so much to Erica and Sarah from our local Griffin Place and to both for sharing such critical information on suicide prevention. Number two, suicide is not inevitable and can be prevented, but it takes a village to create a safety net of caring individuals and for communities to offer a safe harbor. Number three, the Suicide Lifeline was created in 2005 and has fielded over 20 million calls to 1-800-273-8255, now 988. Since the switch, On July 16th of 2022 to 988, there has been a 45% increase of calls just in the first week. This just shows you how important this service is. Number four, 988 does not mean 911. The police aren't going to come to your house. This is a crisis lifeline where trained volunteers can help those in crisis and connect them to resources for help. Number five, crisis workers have extensive training in de-escalation, active listening, crisis intervention, and safety planning. Number six, don't forget the crisis text line where you can text HOME to 741741. I give this number to all of my teens at Well Visits, whether they're in crisis or not, and just say, hey, why don't you put this number in your phone right now so that if you or a friend are in need and want to just talk to somebody, it doesn't have to be about suicide. You have that number right there. And if you want to, you can even test it with them while they're in your office. Number seven, be aware of risk factors and warning signs. And if you are concerned, ask the question, Are you thinking about killing yourself? Sometimes when people are going through what you've been going through, 
that thought occurs to them, you are not going to plant the seed and make them suicidal. It may actually be a relief. Number eight, if you are ready for action, check out the websites in the show notes for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the Suicide Prevention Resource Center, Zero Suicide, and the AAP Blueprint for Suicide Prevention. The 988 Lifeline website also shows call centers in your region. You could sign up to be a volunteer or just sign up for a walk. Number nine, need ideas for forming your own suicide prevention action network? Go to griffin.org backslash span and check out the goals and objectives. You can get an idea of how we structured our program, and that may apply to your community as well. We really focused on education and some action, especially around uh, lethal means, safety, and also around zero suicide in our healthcare and behavioral healthcare uh, sectors. Seek partners from the community. It can be hospital representatives, doctors, schools, colleges, senior services, LGBTQ organizations, and even businesses and begin the conversation. It really does take all of us. Thank you so much for everything you do. I know many of you have been overwhelmed by the number of kids in distress, and it's hard to take the time to ask the questions. And oftentimes the resources have been stretched thin and you may be it, but you may save a life. And that's the most important thing. Thanks so much, and I look forward to you joining me next week for a conversation with leaders from Zero Suicide. And finally, at the end of the month, I have a special episode on self-care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Pediatric Meltdown, and I hope you found it as interesting as I did. In the words of Maya Angelou, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Let's do better together. Music was composed by Connor McHugh and cover art was designed by Alexia Barrero. If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook at Dr. Leah Gugino and on Instagram at Pediatric Meltdown. I would love listener ideas and suggestions and hope to hear from you. Thank you so much and I hope you will join me next week.